This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not an offer or solicitation of an offer to buy or sell securities. SNN Network, SNN Inc., and the Planet Microcap Podcast and the representatives are not licensed brokers, broker dealers, market makers, investment bankers, investment advisors, analysts, or underwriters. We do not recommend any companies discussed. We may buy and sell securities in any company mentioned and may profit in the event those securities rise in value. We recommend you consult with a professional investment advisor, broker, or legal counsel before purchasing or selling any securities referenced in this podcast. Welcome everybody to the SNN Network Summer Virtual Event. I'm your host, Robert Kraft, and I'm really excited to bring to you our, our next panel. It's actually the Planet Microcap podcast panel. This is the podcast that I host. We publish on a weekly basis every Wednesday morning. You can find the podcast wherever you get podcasts on all streaming uh, channels as well as on YouTube. And today's theme that I really wanted to cover that uh, I've spoke with each of, each of the folks joining me individually about this topic it's Gen Z and, uh, and, and really just all the trends and information and everything that's really surrounding this space. So joining me to do this is, and I'm gonna go clockwise, uh, we have Caitlin Cook, who is the head of community and VP of operations at OnRamp Invest, as well as OnRamp Academy and the host of the brand new hit podcast, the Chicks of Fintwit podcast. Caitlin, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Great to have you. Also joining me is Michael Liu. He is an analyst at the Intelligent Fanatics Capital Management and also one of the best Gen Z investors or microcap investors and investors in general out there, in my opinion. And uh, so, Michael, thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Bobby. It's great to have you. And finally, joining us on today's panel is Julia Carrion, she's a longtime financial services professional that actually has been specializing in speaking on and an academic, really, uh, covering the Gen Z space as well as Gen Z disruption technology, all of the above. So, Julia, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I want to get started with uh, asking kind of just in general what some of the trends that you're seeing are, you know, and then and then maybe... Go, having a conversation whether or not like this, you know, this is actually the case or, or maybe it's starting to shift a little bit. So Julia, I, I want to throw to you first, you know, what, what kind of trends are you seeing when it comes to Gen Z and their relationship with investing in finance and, and tech in general? Yeah. So um, the most important thing I think it, that folks should consider when they think about Gen Z and I see it as a mistake kind of writ large um, with researchers and um, companies, frankly, really not paying attention to the fact that Gen Z is the first cohort of human beings who were born with the smartphone. So people often um, put that on millennials, but in reality, Generation Z um, what is the first one to be born with a smartphone as we know it was invented only in 2007. And the reason I started blogging about them in 2017 is I really believe that researchers are not really comprehending the degree to which Gen Z will be disruptors in their own rights because they have such powerful haptic memories, right? Haptic memory is your touch and feeling that you get when you're three years old, around three years old, and you have it until you die, right? So the fact that Generation Z has been playing on smartphones since they were very little, I think has set them up to be disruptors in ways that people are not expecting. And that's why I started blogging about it in 2017. And I think you and I, Bobby, have talked about the fact that what happened with, um, GameStop, GameStop and the uh, Wall Street Bets was kind of the first salvo of Gen Z making their voices heard in the marketplace in a way that nobody was really expecting. So in terms of trends, I think it's very difficult to predict kind of what things they will disrupt, but they will start disrupting uh, the norm because they have this unique mix of understanding social media in ways that we don't, right? I mean, um, Caitlin is a great example of somebody who has leveraged social media to benefit her career in ways that are extremely powerful. But even Caitlin is an older Gen Z relative to the other cohorts coming up behind them. And so think about a 15 year old today who 
is the kind of ground zero for Gen Z. Think about what they might, what might they be thinking about and plotting in their bedroom that we haven't even thought of or anticipated. So I just think we are in for a really interesting ride over the next 10 years to kind of figure out where it is that they settle. But I do think that, that big banks and financial services um, should be paying attention to the fact that Gen Z isn't going to put up with kind of the status quo the way other generations have. So just pause there. No, that's a great place to start right there. So, you know, I, I want to, Michael, throwing it to you, you know, what, what do you think when it comes to some of the, the trends and themes that Julie was saying? I mean, how old were you when you first got that phone and you started digging in and playing around? And, and how would you say that's affected you in some respects as an investor when you think about maybe new technology or, or anything having to do with that space? Yeah, I mean, I, I think the, the social media and like the new technology part is really interesting. I mean, something I was thinking just when you were saying is it's, um, it, it seems like there's a lot more young investors today that are, you know, active on obviously Twitter and, um, uh, you know, some of the more private forums like uh, Valley Investors Club and Microcap Club. And, um, it's changed a lot of the ways that, you know, they can get into the industry, like you were saying, like, and, and have it help their careers, you know, before I'm imagining you would, um, you know, apply to a job, you know, do, do all the normal stuff and internships, stuff like that. But now, you know, you have a lot of people that are completely anonymous on Twitter and some of these forums, just sharing their ideas online. And then, you know, people catch on to that and then you build connections that way. And it's just, it makes it much easier easier to to do things to build you know your personal brand to get a job of course um to do all that so yeah i mean the, the technology aspect definitely uh changes the way that the industry has worked um and then the other thing is you know with personal investing um i think one of the big themes that's emerging recently is um a lot of at least in the microcap space, a lot of people are starting to look more internationally um, to, you know, you know, Australia and the UK are, are easy ones because they speak English, but even, you know, some of the more um, esoteric markets, because, um, you know, before you could only trade really in the country that you have your brokerage account in because there weren't these like fancy technologies, you didn't have interactive brokers or anything that could do anything in these foreign markets. So um, I think that's the other way, at least right now, that's coming to mind that technology has sort of impacted the way that um, some younger investors, I think, invest that's different than, you know, the older generations. Right, 100%, where, you know, people, younger investors, or just investors in general, because of how the improvements with technology, you're starting to look more abroad, you know, and looking at opportunities, not just, you know, in your backyard, but in places that, Previously, were just very, very difficult. But going back to another point that you said about how technology has enabled folks to, you know, look beyond what the traditional path was to finance. I mean, look no further than Caitlin Cook right here. I mean, you know, being able to, I mean, she did have a traditional finance job, but, you know, has, has been able to leverage that to a much better, more incredible opportunity that I think that we would all agree uh, over at OnRamp. So, I mean, Caitlin, you know, uh, from your perspective, I mean, we talk about this a lot, both on the Chicks and Twit podcast and also offline, you know, about how technology has both uh, been uh, an incredible enabler for the next generation learning about investing, but at the same time, there's been some things that are like, I don't know about this. So what do you think? What do I think? Well, from a technology standpoint, kind of starting back with what Julia said, I mean, I, I got a phone, I think in sixth or seventh grade, but there are younger Gen Zs that literally grew up with phones in their hands, as she said. And I think that what comes as second nature to Gen Zers and the younger generations has been so difficult for generations past from a technology standpoint. So the adoption of new technology, new ideas is definitely a lot faster for those younger generations. They're more open to change. They're more open to technology that makes their lives easier. Those that are used to sort of antiquated systems from the past are really more hesitant to adopt new things generally. Um, from an investment standpoint, I think, especially on social media, um, a lot of, you've noticed that a lot of younger 
people or younger generations generally have gotten interested in investing and it's become a lot more social. So again, leveraging those newer social media platforms, but in relation to investing, I mean, it's become more of a community thing, right? So like the GameStop, the AMC, it's showing kind of the more willingness of these younger folks to put themselves out there, share their ideas and social media and technology has given them the platform to do so. Um, so I, I think it's been really interesting to see one, the socialization of investing in these younger generations being so open to what used to be such a taboo topic. And then from adopting technology in general, it's just, I'm even, I'm 23 and I'm amazed by the ease at which younger generations have been adopting new changes technolo uh, technologically versus older generations. So I'll, I'll stop there. Yeah, hey, I mean, hey, Bobby, can I, yes. can I just say something about that? Because sure. I, I know that this subject that you really, we really want to get into is investing, but, but I, I will just say that I feel, have really strong feelings about the fact that human resources departments really should have, it's irresponsible for them not to have paid attention to this train coming as long ago as seven to 10 years ago, right? You could have seen that this new generation wasn't just gonna show up and expect seamless experiences. And if they didn't get it, they were gonna find them and make their own communities for them as Caitlin said. But also the fact that the hierarchy in financial services has for so long been all the senior executives up here rule the roost and all of us down here do what they say and we stay quiet about it. You could have seen that Gen Z wasn't gonna tolerate that garbage and was gonna push back. And so we are seeing kind of unprecedented friction as generations turn over, as baby boomers you know, exit the workforce and Gen X starts to have more power and I think is more open-minded about all of this, just maybe I'm biased because I'm Gen X, but that you, this is not, this is not for play anymore. Like really what's happening right now is kind of brass tacks friction that was expected with major, major generational turnover, which as you know, is happening right now, right from the next, from five years ago to the next five years, there was a 10 year period where things were gonna get really interesting. Absolutely, and, and I actually, I do wanna come back to that because clearly look, not everybody is gonna be, you know, their own self-starter, right? You know, there are gonna still be folks in Gen Z, uh, that are gonna wanna go maybe the traditional route or another route to get into finance in some respect, you know? So th that's a really important point, but I wanna, I wanna come back to that because I was gonna come back to you on another thing because we, I think we can all agree, you know, when it comes to, when we think about Gen Z and the next generation of investors, the one sector that clearly dominates the headlines is tech, right? I mean, tech is the main thing, you know, that, that seems to get the most buzz, the most eyeballs other than AMC and GameStop, uh, full disclosure, not a shareholder, um, but that was for totally different reasons. Um, uh, but when we think about tech, Julia, I mean, what, and we talked about this a little bit when we did our individual interview, but what subcategories within tech seems to be gaining the most momentum that's really driven by Gen Z? Well, so obviously I feel like definitely gaming, right? And the entertainment industry, and, and I think we're entering a interesting phase of hyper gamification of everything. And I, I think that, you know, I am, as you know, really proud of having called that trend five years ago. Um, but, but besides the gamification of everything, we are also, I think, obviously entering for financial services, hyper-personalization and or customization where consumers expect that you know who they are and um, are modifying your experience or tailoring your experience to, um, to allow that to happen. So AI and gamification, I think, are the two frontiers that are going to be really interesting to watch. Very cool. Caitlin, did you want to jump in? I think uh, you said... You sent me a message saying crypto and gamification. So now you got you got you got to jump in on that. How did you you just closed our DMs? That's a sin. But <laughs> I, I so working working in the crypto space, kind of in fintech, it's very interesting, specifically on the gamification side of things, right? It's and I'm a huge you know behavioral finance psychology person, and just 
the the way in which gamification has an impact on like overall experience and feedback loops and how people interact with things i that i think is the biggest trend from my limited experience but it's just really interesting to see the the tides turning and everything going that way even with like crypto movement you see nfts you see digital horse racing you see all kinds of things that are just kind of proving the point that gamification works and that the more technology we see that embraces that instead of rejects it is um, probably better off in the long run for it. For sure. And Kayla, coming right back to you. I mean, look, I, we've talked about this online a little bit. And Michael, I'm going to ask you a very similar question. You know, I know you tend, when you're looking at the stock market, you know, you tend to be an investor that likes to quote unquote, look at the boring stuff. So how do you balance that, you know, probably getting asked question after question from your friends that may not pay attention so much to finance and are saying, you know, hey, tell me about GameStop, AMC, and all these other ones. And, you know, sorry to any of you that are invested in that, but, you know, whatever. But, um, you know, how do you, how do you think about these, these trends and this hyper growth and hyper everything um, when you tend to kind of be like, you know, I, I, I don't, I like some of the boring stuff. Well, I, just to throw it out there, I am like, over-rationalize everything, right? So even though you see, I think that a lot of investors, especially the younger, hungrier, you know, more likely to trade more often investors kind of see that shiny object and go after it. And it's very appealing. It's sexy. That's what they think will get them that get rich quick. And I've, I've never been a fan of that. I just don't see that as realistic. And I, I would much rather err on the side of caution, investing low cost, long-term, um, for the next however many decades, hopefully a lot of them. But I also would say from a due diligence, due diligence standpoint that it's super important to keep informed regardless of what your timeline is investing, whatever your methodology. So I always keep an eye on it. I'm always reading about the markets. I'm always seeing, you know, what's the new hottest thing because that changes every single week these days, it seems, right? But it's important to pay attention to the trends. Um, maybe not necessarily what happens that's like a hot flash for a few weeks and then goes away. I mean, I, you can't help but see those things when you use social media, but I, I pay more attention to what trends do I see appearing and where do I think that they'll go? Um, whether or not I act on them is a different thing, but I think it's just good to be cognizant of what everyone else is looking at as well, just to keep on top of it before it's too late. hundred percent. I couldn't agree with, I couldn't agree more with everything you just said. Michael, what, what do you think? You know, I, I mean, you've been doing, you've been looking at microcaps for years. I mean, when you talk about crazy trends, it seems like you hear the trend and it's like a uh, hundred new microcaps have just that, you know, come up. Like I remember back in 2014 with cannabis and now in the last couple of years, you got blockchain. And I mean, you had the retail companies that now changed the name to have a blockchain name in them, you know? So how do you block out the noise to really focus in on what is your core competency? Yeah, I mean, so with microcaps, I think uh, I've never had to think too much about like the big retail environment just because, you know, the level of interest that GameStop got would never happen in a microcap. Like most of these companies, you know, I'll tell people, and, you know, it, there is a 0% chance that anybody's heard of them unless they're actually an investor that's actually done some work into the space, um, which is great from an investment standpoint. Um, but yeah, unlike the bigger, like, trends, GameStop, like the big blockchain, the pump and dumps, Reddit, all that, like, I see it as just kind of fun to follow. Um, you know, you can learn some interesting stuff, for example, how Robinhood sort of dealt with the settlements with um, their GameStop stock and sort of the uh, political or regulatory response to that. That was pretty interesting. And, it, you know, it might happen again. I don't know. Uh, but for that, you know, I just sort of follow it for fun. Um, kind of assuming that at some point the information might become relevant. But for, from an investment standpoint, it's very tough to trade. Although I'll tell a funny story is um, I had this friend in college who probably everybody had friends in college who uh, got into investing during COVID and he would, he would, you know, scour the Reddit message boards every day looking for the next hot stock or like whatever was being pumped or whatever. And then every single time he would tell me and I would look at it and I'd go, dude, this company doesn't make any money. This company's losing $10 million a year, blah, blah, blah. This, like the, the CEO is a fraud, like all this stuff, right? All my customers. But inevitably, every single one for a period of like two months, every single one that he pitched me would go up 10, 50% the next week. Every single one. He just knew which ones were going to get pumped. Or I don't know. They all, they all got pumped, I guess. Something like that. So, you know, you can actually make a bit of money there if you 
you know, spotted that trend, you knew where to look, you know, you had that sort of um, feel of a Gen Z investor and what they would find appealing from, you know, random message boards and stuff like that. So I don't know, there's probably opportunities in a lot of weird places, including all of these trends that pop up, like the blockchain, you know, the the time when, you know, there were no more listed companies under a dollar, stuff like that. Look, I mean, we're, there's, there's lots of ways you can make money in the markets, right? You know, at, 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 at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, you're right. Like, look, if you have that feel and you, you know, and, and it worked out for you, great. I think the thing that we, pro- that especially as you know, on my podcast, and we always try and put out there, we want to, we, we like to push out, we like to talk about the things that we know, you know, from a general perspective is more or less will work. But also, especially in microcaps, if you do the work, will work. You know, I mean, you'll definitely pay the piper maybe once or twice, but that's part of it, you know. Um, yeah, just to be clear, um, yeah. since he since that like one to two month period, now everything that he tells me about is down 90%. So that would not have worked. Ah, as a strategy. And I, I wouldn't <laughs> recommend ever like getting your ideas off of Reddit or anything like that. But it, it was just funny how like the market just, you know, went totally bonkers for you know, a, a couple of weeks basically during COVID. I mean, it's still going, man. It's not just on Reddit. I mean, now, like, I mean, Caitlin, we, mm-hmm. were, we were just talking about this the other day, like FinTwit, uh, I mean, FinTwit, obviously, but fin, I call it now FinTalk, or it's the uh-huh. financial TikTok. I can't take credit. I think Kyla said that one. So, uh, but but FinTalk, FinTube, all right, I'll take credit for that one. But, um, but yeah, I mean, it's everywhere, you know? I mean, I, I don't know, Julia, I mean, I, from, from what you've seen, it, it, do you think this is something that, I mean, is there going to be any kind of regulation or, or something or there is a technology solution? I know that's, a, that's an overarching question. I apologize. But, uh, you know, I mean, we're just kind of spitballing here. Like something has to get like this is it, it's intense. Well, look, I mean, I think there's no question that regulators have to have to catch up with what's happening. And and I frankly think with what happened with Robin Hood in those, you know, heady days a few months ago, it was clear that the regulators, I think, were taken by surprise a little bit. And um, so what I would be making sure young investors knew is to be careful, right? And to to do your research, which Caitlin and Michael have just said, you know, I'm gonna share a story from my own experience. Um, I grew up in the dot-com boom. I, you know, I make no qualms about the fact that I'm 50. Um, I grew up in the dot-com boom in the early 2000s. A lot of people don't realize that um, a company that was doing 401ks was actually on the grift and my startup had put all of our 401ks at this um, this young company. I rolled over my 401k, I was in my mid to late 20s and um, they made off with it and they ended up getting sued by the San Francisco um, attorney general and pick, you know, peanuts on the dollar ended up getting recovered. But I took that account from Fidelity and rolled it over into a fraudulent account, literally having no idea what I was doing, right? My employer said, roll over your 401k. And I did. And I had no idea what I was doing because I knew nothing about financial services. I was in tech um, and had started my career as a journalist. So I got burned. It was $30,000 in real money 25 years ago. So that's, you know, that's a, that's a really sad story. And um, it's because I had no idea. So I really hope that anybody listening here is paying attention to the fact that there are lots of people, even legitimate people that are well-meaning that, that can blow you up with your finances. And so do the research and do the work because it's not worth it in the end to, to you know, lose everything. Please, 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 everybody listen to Julian, everything that she just said. And, and of course, and also Michael and Caitlin, do the research. It, you know, even if you don't, you know, make that mistake or make that investment, it, you're learning something, you know? And, and so just, yes, Julia, again, 100% agree with everything that you just said. And, and, and going on that same point, you know, Caitlin, we were just, you know, you just did interviews with Rish Sharma, with Kyla Scanlon. 
you know, uh, talking about how, um, you know, there's a lot of there, these new quote, you know, personalities out there on FinTalk and FinTwit, you know, for those who are watching this that might be getting their ideas from some of these folks out there, you know, what are some things that they can do to, you know, look out for, or, you know, maybe some stay just, just some things that can help them when, you know, they, they want to be entertained, but also maybe not necessarily listen to what they are trying to tell them to do. Sure. And even those who don't explicitly get their investment ideas from, you know, financial TikTok or Twitter or Instagram, there's still that, that information, that nugget of information in your brain when you're making decisions after the fact. So you just need to always be cognizant of the information you're absorbing. But that being said, I think always do your own due diligence. It seems so simple, but I think that we're very easily swayed by people that have larger platforms and they may not necessarily have, I don't want to say the credentials, right? Because finance and the nice part about finance and investing is that you don't necessarily need to go get your PhD in it to learn about it, right? It's active. You can put your money in and it'll show for yourself and you learn along the way, but it's just always comes back to doing your own research. If you don't have conviction yourself behind an investment idea, don't put your money into it, right? Or expect to not expect to lose it, but you have to factor in the fact that there may be risks that you didn't take the time to look into if you're taking someone else's word. And that's just a little bit irresponsible in my opinion, but other people may have the risk tolerance to do that depending on, you know, the amount, but I, I personally don't um, prescribe to that. I would not recommend it. I would say, if you're not sure, always do more research. It's good to have your facts straight. It's good to have an educated opinion on things rather than just a knee-jerk reaction to what you're seeing based on what's on social media, because it's very easy to do. And I think we've all fallen prey to that at some point, whether that's investment related or not, but just, I think a lot of it's, you know, self-awareness and taking the time to research on your own. Agreed. Agreed. My, Michael, what, uh, you know, what, what's your thoughts on this? Um, yeah, just to add to that, I mean, I would just be wary of somebody that wants you to buy their stock or to do what they say, because um, there should not, they shouldn't have any incentive to do that. I mean, posting a stock, people that post the stock on Twitter specifically to pump it are not, um, you know, doing it properly, I guess I would say. The best companies, you can see the best microcaps out there are very like, at, at least the ones that I like at least, are, are very information averse. They don't like sharing too much with investors, getting expectations too high, giving guidance, right, right um, doing any of that, or some even don't do earnings calls. And those are usually the best ones because they don't need to raise money. They know the business is good. Their perspective is, you know, if if um, you want to buy our stock because you believe in us, that's great. If not, we don't care. We're not going to try to convince you. And the people on Twitter are, should be the same. You know, If somebody really, really wants you to get you to buy a stock, you should really be asking them why, because you buying the stock shouldn't, shouldn't affect anything you know, of the business fundamentals, right? It should only, it's only going to affect the stock price maybe. And then you know, if they, all they care about is the stock going up, then you know, it's probably a pump and dump or something similar to that. So yeah, I would just be wary if somebody's really trying to shove them something down your throat and uh, get you to do anything in life, specific and in this case specifically to buy a stock. You know, it usually means there's something worse hidden. Um, obviously, they're only going to tell you the best information. They're going to omit the bad information, and they're not governed by FCC regulations or anything to, to divulge. You know, some of the negative information like companies are. They can literally cherry pick whatever they want and and put it publicly. Yeah, that's when we dig into the SEC filings, right? That's a that's a that's a topic for that's a topic for a whole another another day, right? We'll, we'll bring Majan and do a whole thing on the information arbitrage, but uh, but you know another question that I have, you know, along along this topic, and, and Julie, I'm going to come back to you. You know, based on some of the trends or some of the research you've done, and even from your experience, what you saw back in the dot com days, you know, most of this Gen Z investors they haven't seen a bear market. Right. I mean, maybe they maybe they started investing a little bit before March 2020, but I'd say for the most part, uh, from some of the stats that I've seen, most of the new accounts opened after March 20th. And it's only been a uphill climb since then, you know, so 
is there fear of losing some of these investors as a result of, you know, when this bear market comes or, you know, how do you think about, about what, what could happen as a result? I mean, you went through the dot-com bubble. I mean, are you seeing a lot of potentially the same things happening here? Well, so, you know, that's a, that's a really fun loaded question for me because I believe that cycles are inevitable and this one has been longer and kind of propped up for lots of different fascinating reasons, not, not least of which is a 100 year pandemic, which think about this, my stepdad died um, in 2018, he was 75 and he never lived through a 100 year pandemic. So think about, think about what now Gen Z has gone through living through a pandemic in addition to living through the great recession, in addition to being born during the war on terror. So like the, the psychological impacts of all of this are going to be have very long tails and is going to be very interesting to watch in the long term. But about your specific question, look, Bobby, there will be there will be an, a down market at some point, right? And being prepared to manage through that risk is something you do before it happens, right? And if you're not preparing for it now, you are gonna be burned by it when it does happen. And so I do think that there is a lot to be said about if something sounds too good to be true, it probably is. And that's a really good, in my opinion, you know, stress test of does something sound like it's too crazy? I mean, Michael, I, I mean, that's what I would, how I would paraphrase what Michael said. You have to be managing your risk all the time. You have to be doing your due diligence. And um, I think the good news with Gen Z is the, they, they've been raised with enough stressful world events, right? That are kind of seared in their head um, sociologists would tell you that it's very much shaping who they are and how they show up in the workforce. Um, they've been through enough bad things that I think they are capable of wrapping their minds around the fact that there will be another bear market at some point. That's fascinating. I, I honestly hadn't really even thought about that from a psychological perspective of like, damn, Gen Z actually has been through a whole heck of a lot. I mean, Oh, sorry, I'm having a. And I didn't even, I didn't even see mention, my face go. <laughs> well, and I didn't even mention one of the biggest ones that that has shaped them is actually Columbine, um, the the whole notion of school shootings and that occurring and what that has done and you know the school shooting drills and not blinking an eye when someone shows up to school with a gun like this is all very much part of who they are and um, I just think oh my God, living through a pandemic is just one more shot across the bow at these kids. I think, um, and I'm talking about the young ones, I don't mean to call the ones that are adults kids, but the um, psychological impacts I think are gonna be very, have very long tails. And I think it's too soon to tell what, um, the, what COVID will have done to all of that. Right, yeah, no, I mean, Caitlin, now I'm coming to you on, on this because, you know, a lot of what Julia is saying has a lot to do with behavioral finance, you know, and whether or not, you know, we can be, is, is, it, is human behavior just going to continue to be very cyclical, you know, right? A bear market is another bear market. People are going to have their reactions. Or could this next one be maybe a little different in terms of the reaction to it because of all this new um these new investors in the market, especially on the Gen Z side, because they've been through so much. Who knows? It might not be as bad. It might be a lot more resilient than maybe some people would expect. I mean, I'm not asking you to have a crystal ball. Don't worry. You, you, you don't. But, but you know, your thoughts on it. I, I mean, I'd, I'd be interested to see at some point down the road when that happens, right? Just because if you think about some of the newer investors, the younger investors that have entered during this insane past year, the volatility has been the only normal, like normal part of all of this, right? Like it's just been consistently turbulent, consistently on like you just every single turn, there's been something crazy happening in the news, NFTs going for hundreds of thousands of dollars. Like there's just so much going on. It's so chaotic that that's almost become the constant at that this point. And I think 
that will be a positive thing for investors, especially the younger ones that are starting out in this kind of zooming out. I just remember starting my career a couple of years ago. And when COVID hit, um, I was in sales for an asset manager and things were selling anything at that time when everyone was so emotional and things were going haywire was incredibly difficult. And I remember one of my mentors told me, this will be one of the best things for you professionally, because if you start out in a state of chaos and are able to navigate that, everything else after that is um, just so much easier. So I think that those who went into the markets and had it be smooth sailing and such a long bull run um, at the beginning, that's formative, right? Those are the formative years What the beginning when you're starting something psychologically speaking. And if you were an investor in the past, even six months, you were in for a wild ride. And I think that that um, shapes a lot, especially around, you know, risk management and, you know, just kind of decision-making as a whole from an investment standpoint. So I, I'm, I don't have a crystal ball, but I'm very curious to see. And I think that in the long run for the investors that at least stick it out, even if there does end up being sort of a bear market at some point in the future, which there will be, it's cyclical, but I, if they stick around, I think they will be a lot better for it from the experiences they had early on. Absolutely. hundred percent. So and Michael, kind of similar question to you. I mean, look in micro caps, you know, we hear a lot of our, our, our colleagues, and, and I'm sure you would agree, is, you know, you're trying to find businesses that are, you know, bear market averse or, you know, survive, can survive in, in times of, uh, you know, we think back to 08, 09 like times, you know. Um, so, I mean, how do you think about this? You know, as, as we all said here, we know a bear market is going to come at some point, whether it's next year, next month, two years, three years, who knows? You know, so, I mean, how, how do you think about it? And especially when you think about some of the valuations as well for, for some of these micros out there. Yeah, I mean, I think so, so purely from an investment perspective, not uh, Gen Z focused, you're asking? Um, um, both, if you'd like. Yeah, I mean, I think like right now, this is kind of tied to the Gen Z thing. I don't know what's causing it but valuations across the board have risen significantly for a lot of micro caps um and you can see and it you know a lot of it has to do with those some people on twitter um um potentially gen z investors picking up on certain things i mean gen z investors love low price i'll say the investors that came on board during covid love very low price stocks and those tend to be smaller micro caps so there is a lot more liquidity and a lot higher valuations in microcap right now. In microcaps right now, um, in terms of businesses, I mean, during COVID, at least you know, not a lot of microcap businesses got killed, but valuations got taken down significantly. And I think probably one of the biggest risks of a bear market right now is that you know you get that dual impact of a fundamental hit and. The multiple compression too from you know where it is now which is kind of artificially driven a, a little bit i think um so yeah i would just again be wary of buying into more hyped uh smaller companies for sure all right well my my last question for everybody here is i want to hear your best overreaction like if you had to like really just go outside the box like this would be the weirdest potential thing that maybe if you can make a loose argument could happen you know what's your best overreaction as to what you think um the next gen z type trend might be so who wants to go first with that one should we take should we take a breather should we take a, a quick breath and then and then figure out who should go first with that uh, all right i'm picking julia you go first I, I'm gobsmacked by that question, and I it's I happen to get it um, a lot because of uh, because I predicted the gaming uh, hyper gamification kind of before anybody else on the street. Um, so I'm I'm going to say that I I can't predict kind of where you might see disruption and what might be completely un predictable. I'm going to go with the Gen X safe answer and just tell you that if you have audience members that are listening who are actually those people in charge of a lot of things, 
you need to get some Gen Z perspective and, and act on it now. Like the time to think about it and ponder and, and stay relevant because, because based on your own ideas, those times are, that is past and out the window, right? Like you need to be listening to what the teenagers in your life have to say and really paying attention because, because they are going to find ways to make sure that what they are thinking about right now comes to fruition. Um, so that's my best advice. And I apologize, I dodged your question completely, Bobby. You can hold it against me. Don't worry, I'm gonna come back to you because I'm gonna ask Caitlin and Michael the same thing. So <laughs> give, give you a little more time to think about it. But that was great advice. I, I again, I couldn't agree more. Everybody should be thinking more about what Gen Z is thinking about and you know, deciding whether or not they should act on it or something of that nature. So Caitlin, your best overreaction. So this is slightly dodging your question as well. I'm sorry in advance, but it's not, I don't even, I'm clearly biased in the space that I work in. So you already know what I'm going to say, but (laughs) I think that there has been a lot of people underestimating the power of not necessarily just crypto, but decentralized finance as a whole, the different projects, protocols being built and the potential that they have to completely uproot the entire financial services space. Um, And I think a lot of people just see it more around like silly coins and NFTs of rocks that are going for hundreds of thousands of dollars. And that just doesn't make sense. But that being said, I think there's a lot of merit that is going unnoticed by the people that don't want to accept the change. So in the younger generations have been extremely receptive as, as a whole, right? Like, I mean, I know a lot of people who still aren't really into it or believe it, but younger generations more receptive to the new technology and adopting it. So I, I would say that this is going to be a bigger, like kind of flood into that space than anyone would anticipate right now. Um, and I don't think it's going to be immediate, right? It's going to be kind of a slow transition. It's been going for over a decade now, but there are so many different ways in which this could flip the switch from even the way that like money markets and anything like automated market makers, things that people don't even understand are going on in the background that they don't want to listen to. I would just say that the younger generations are paying attention. They're adopting it. They will be at the forefront of this. There's a reason that you see random 14, 16, 18 year old kids that are making fortunes on crypto because they're paying attention and they're taking note and they're doing something about it. Whereas a lot of the, you know, more stubborn people stuck in their ways, usually a little bit older generations, not always, but stuck in, you know, the systems and the businesses that they've built on those antiquated systems and they don't want to listen. So like Julia said, pay attention to what the younger generations are paying attention to. They might not have the wealth now from a number standpoint, but they will. And I, I think that anyone that's refusing to pay attention there is being pretty negligent. Okay. All right. That was a, that was kind of an overreaction. Maybe not. Actually, that wasn't an overreaction because I think actually everything you said, was, again, I agree. With uh, all right. I'm going to come back to you for your overreaction then too. Okay. That was, that was a good take. All right, Michael, an overreaction. Um, so I, I, I've had more time to think. Um, but I have some fun <laughs> ones that I think would be pretty cool. The first okay. one would be, um investor loyalty programs like amc didn't they give like free popcorn or something to the shareholders if if like a company started doing that and then their share prices start taking off immediately afterwards that would be a lot of fun i could see you know a lot of gen z investors saying you know i have a hundred bucks um i'd like to make money on amc plus get free movies um that would be pretty fun the other thing is uh uh following like the other thing with Gen Z that I don't think we've talked about too much is like the, there's a big influencer community for, and that connects back to the social media and everything. Um, and it seems like a lot of the younger generations follow influencers much closer. So, you know, GameStop potentially part of the run-up was because uh, Michael Burry was invested and he's, you know, well-known even outside from the big short outside of the investment community. Um, so it could be something like, you know, big investors certain influencers and influencers, you know, the the people like Elon Musk and everything that we're talking about cryptos and some of the smaller coins, um, that sort of pump, that was was pretty funny too. So that could happen too, um, just a bigger role that influencers play and also a converse role where, you know, if certain funds that aren't well liked by the investment community for one reason or another, or by young investors file on a stock, the stock automatically tanks. 
that'd be pretty funny. Um, or, you know, people find out they have puts or something and the, the stock uh, goes up because of that. Um, yeah, and then the last thing, which is probably more pertinent, is I think a lot more stuff happens on social media. It's definitely been in the last few months and like the last couple of years, there are so many more younger, like super smart investors on Twitter and on all these forums that are writing, you know, really good in-depth research and just trying to get their ideas out there and trying to get heard. And I think that continues. And that's like an awesome movement, in my opinion, because, you know, investing is like the pure, purest meritocracy. You can open a bank account with $10 and start investing. And, you know, you don't need any money to write on Twitter. So if you can find stocks that 10 bag, you'll get discovered no matter what, you know, it, it doesn't matter who you are. And, and most of these accounts are anonymous anywhere. Anyway, so I think that continues, and that's probably the most interesting thing that's going to come out of this is uh, a bigger role and an easier role for people to get into investing and to, um, you know, to do well because they're smart and they can find stocks to go up and not because of anything else. 100%. It's funny you mentioned uh, um, influencer community. I, I, my, my biggest overreaction so I didn't leave everybody hanging and that, you know, I wouldn't answer the question myself. It, it wasn't so much that I think there's overreaction. I think that it's going to be even more of an explosion of financial education, fintech surrounding financial education, and within that communities. Um, where I wrote down this line, it's a line, that uh, it's, it's going to sound very liney. So here it goes. Is that there's, there's so much noise, it's time to pick a channel. So that's kind of not bad line, right? Okay. All right. Okay. It was, it was an okay. Line. Good. But like, but, 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 you know, but, but, but anyway, like it just, it, it just seems like this idea of communities is really going to take on a whole different role that we, I just, we can't, I can't even, not maybe we, you, you probably, you all, you three probably could, but at least for me, I can't even fathom like what that might look like because it's all going to be online, you know? And so, you know, especially with Substacks out there, you know, there's all these different platforms where people can subscribe and and either to a newsletter or um, be able to contribute to you know whatever that community was created by that one or group of people. So, I don't know, that's one. That's my best overreaction. So, yes. You know what, Bobby? I just want to say something about that. So, so what I think is important to remember is that all of this change. I think you're right about communities, by the way, and I, I. Um, I think it's really important to remember that this kind of change happens very slowly until it happens overnight, seemingly, right? So communities were invented actually 20 some odd years ago um, in, and, and I actually worked for one of the early um, IT community forums. And it, think about how long it's taken 20 years for them to take off in the way that they have now. So none of this will happen overnight, but I think what happens with change is that it takes a long time. So people become sanguine to it and they become um, inert to it and they ignore it and they think it's then they decide it's not gonna happen anymore. And they're wrong about that because then it's a like a light switch. So paying attention to all of these things and, and going out of your comfort zone to try to stay relevant I mean, obviously, Caitlin and you and Michael don't have to try as hard because you're still young. But when you're older, you kind of have to force yourself to to work at staying relevant and not being stuck in your ways. And so, you know, my last thing would just for you guys to know is that, you know, staying relevant is really important. I think it's good for your brain anyway. So I would just be encouraging people to have an open mind and stay relevant no matter how uncomfortable it is because there is a lot coming at us all the time. I mean, it's so hard, right? Like, I mean, not, not just to do it in general, but I mean, you think about how fast everything is moving and how much noise and news and new tech. I mean, it's, it's, it's hard just because there's just so much and it's exhausting. I'm 32. I'm exhausted. You know, I mean, <laughs> you know, like I, 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 I feel for those, you know, older than me that are set in their ways because I mean, at the, at the end of the day, it's just, it's a lot, you know, but uh, all right, Caitlin, you know, I was going to come back to you as well. You know, have, have we, have we thought of an overreaction? I, yes. And I think, 
I don't know how unrealistic it is because we've seen it in a way, but just these, again, these younger generations, like tying it all together, younger generations getting very involved, investing is more socialized. Now we see like on Twitter, wall street bats, Reddit, like Reddit and all of that. I just foresee, I think a lot of these younger investors have realized that they want their voice to be heard. They want to be involved. They want a community. Like we talked about to kind of, I don't know, like talk about these things with, and we've seen the power of crowds affect companies um, negatively, right. With like the game stock and the AMC or negatively and positively, but I maybe just um, like, we see that again, but on a larger scale, I don't know what that would look like, but now that the, you know, the retail investor sees that they can make an impact in, in groups, and it doesn't necessarily have to be the biggest dollar amount for them individually, but then they find hundreds of thousands of them that'll all do the same thing. They can truly move things. So maybe, maybe we see that again. I don't know. Um, I guess that would be my, my guess there. Yeah. Just to add on to that um, something, I think another trend that you know, and this might be the explosion that you're talking about, another trend that um, maybe we haven't mentioned yet that Gen Z takes a particular interest in is ESG um, because, you know, the climate change is getting bigger and bigger. And, um, you know, these Gen Z investors are, you know, they were born knowing that you're supposed to recycle, you got to do, you know, you don't waste food, all that, like, you know, that's ingrained. Whereas some older people are more like, you know, lax about stuff like that. Um, So a lot of, and you start, you, there are like little pockets in microcap land, at least where, you know, that's starting to take a hold. For example, the, um, the name's escaping me, but I probably can't mention it. It was like this mine in Canada that had a particular ESG slant and um, it got picked up by some influencers on YouTube and stuff like that. And the valuation it trades at now is it, it's done quite well as a stock and the valuation it trades at is are probably a, a large premium to what at least the valuation would be if they didn't have any theme attached to them. So to say like, you know, ESG might be more important to companies too, and it's starting to happen, um, but particular for, particularly for smaller companies where the retail investors, so like these Gen Z investors can actually impact the stock materially and, you know, help the company raise money and do stuff like that. I think that's a really, really good point as well. No, I agreed. Um, you know, that actually ties in a little bit to what Julia was talking about earlier that I promised we would come back to and, and about HR, you know, and how Gen Z is really, really focused on that as well and wanting to, you know, be a, be a part of, if, if they don't want to start their own things, it's being a part of a company that they truly believe in. Um, and ESG definitely is probably part of that calculation as well. I mean, Julia, to kind of close this out here, I mean, how, how, how I, want to, I want you to go a little further on that point that you're talking about with HR and, and how Gen Z thinks about, you know, wanting to join on to companies and be a part of companies that really stand for something. Well, look, I mean, that, it, that the social responsibility part of um, Gen Z is, is no joke, right? And I do think that some firms uh, didn't take it seriously at first. And it's important to know that the reason why they are showing up like this is because Barack Obama is the primary president of their consciousness. And that's it. And he had a global impact. So this is not just talking about the US, but he was, and he was also um, a black man. And so the image of him being diverse himself and being so articulate and so resonant with that generation, they they are showing up with the same kind of important um, social impact point of view. They they are not gonna do business with companies that are um, skating the line of ethics. And so, and and we're seeing that, right? And, And then we're also seeing firms that are appealing to them in an organic and natural way like Nike that are doing very well right now. So look, I think this is not a drill anymore, right? They are, there are too many of them. They're one third of the global population. They are poised to inherit a great deal of money and they know things that older generations do not. And those things are native social media tendencies and technology. So look, 
be afraid of them in a good way because they're I think they're amazing and um and I am inspired by them and really think about myself being a 22 year old going into the workplace I was terrified of making somebody mad or saying the wrong thing or getting in trouble and and they, this cohort really is not they're showing up way more empowered and God bless them for it because you know I am all about let's make sure that we um, have diverse a diverse financial services community that is listening to all cohorts in it um, because we're it's well well past due. Agreed. I, <laughs> nothing else needs to be said there. I think agreed, right? Um, so with that, you know, I think it's time. I think we're about there. So would love to get everybody's, um, you know, final take, you know, um, whatever that may be. It could be Gen Z related, it could be investing related. It could be totally not either of those things related. So, um, or, or commenting on anything that Julia just said. Uh, so, Caitlin, you know, uh, let's. Let, what's your final take, and also where people can go and find you uh, to follow you on social media, as well as listen to the amazing brand new podcast that you are now hosting called the Chicks of Fintwood. Well, you may be biased there, but the the podcast is on all major streaming platforms. It's Chicks of Fintwit on Twitter. Um, and then my personal, find me on Twitter. It's at Dead Kate Bounce, Kate C A I T. Um, I, I always have thoughts on what Julia says. I just love the, how much she embraces younger generations. And I think we need more of that very clearly, very biased there, but I just, you need to start paying attention, whether it's investing or just generally like the, the younger generations are very much easily adapting to new technologies. They're embracing them and we should follow suit. Older generations should follow suit, right? Because you're not going to stop the train from rolling. You can either get on it or you can get ran over or missed. So you're going to be left behind either way if you don't. So I guess that would be my biggest thing. Listen to Gen Z's. We're not so bad. And you know, we're, we're going to have, we're going to have a good run here. Hopefully. Am I old enough to be considered an embracer of Gen Z or (laughs) Or am I, is it like millennials? No, we're not, no, not. You're not just good. a millennial, Bobby. I'm really sorry <laughs> to tell you. I'm just really sorry. I feel, it's unfortunate that you fell into that bucket, but you can be Gen Z adjacent. Yeah. <laughs> I, why, 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 why do us millennials, I feel like we always draw the short straw, you know, like uh, the, the, we, we gotta really, we gotta figure this out. Um, so, so Michael, what, what's your final take on, on any Gen Z investing? What happened? Uh, Microcaps. Yeah, I mean, maybe just sticking to Gen Z. I mean, like, it, like if you're a Gen Z investor, just start investing and start posting your ideas online um, and then try, you know, connecting with people, commenting on their posts, adding value to their research. 100% like that is the way to, first of all, get better at investing and make money, which is probably the most important thing. And also, you know, make a career, do, um, do anything in the industry. Um, yeah, yeah, it's like it's such a great industry because everything is interconnected. Twitter's right there. All these forums are right there. Um, you don't need anything to invest. You don't need anything to do research besides a computer and you know some YouTube videos to teach you the basics. Um, so, yeah, that it's the the opportunity set is just incredible for new investors to get into investing and to get their voices heard for the first time in in ever really, um, and. Um, yeah, to, to, to find me, I'm on Twitter. My handle is Michael2017L. Um, my name there is Michael Liu, which is my name. Um, and yeah, you can feel free to message me anytime, um, especially if you're a young investor. And for those who don't know, Michael is one of the best microcap investors already, not just for his age, but out there. So I, I'm uh, one of the microcap investors out there. Oh, did I say, did I say, that. <laughs> did I say one of, you're, you're the best Gen Z microcap. How about that? I don't even know if that's true anymore. There's so, like I said, there's so many young investors out there now. It's crazy. And it's growing so fast. Like you have no idea. I, you're a microcap club, so you know, but like, yeah, it's just crazy. Yeah. You're like an elder statesman of microcap Gen Z investors at this point. Yeah. I, I mean, oh, Gen, like, Z. Gen Z. Gen Z. <laughs> yeah there's got to be like over a dozen yeah it's crazy it's awesome and julia working can I, I mean you gave a great final take but if you want to give another final take 
No, I no, I, I appreciate you ha having me. Um, I have not. I've suspended my Twitter account for now, but um, you can find me on LinkedIn until I figure out my life. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> well, with that, Caitlin, Julia, Michael, thank you so much for joining me. This has been a lot of fun, and I look forward to catching up with each of you very shortly. Caitlin, you're forced to because we're producing a podcast together. <laughs> but everybody, I, I do I do look forward to chatting with you soon. Yeah, thank you for having me. Thank you. Yeah, thanks.